and welcome back to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself, Son Edom, talk about the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. And Dan, one of the biggest things going on in this world right now is that of the Ukraine-Russian war, you know, Russia invading Ukraine. And there's been a lot going on over the past few weeks. In fact, this was anticipated by a lot of people prior to the Olympics, which obviously were back in February. And so this has been a longstanding, I guess, thing that people thought was going to happen. In fact, I believe when I did some research on it, it goes back to maybe spring of last year, 2021, when Russia started to kind of move their forces towards the Ukraine border. And then in January, the Defense Department came out and said that there was probably going to be an invasion at some point. And then I found out that during the Olympics, Putin, I guess, uh, met up with Xi, the premier of China, to talk about it, I guess, to get his blessing. And then once the Olympics ended, then Russia proceeded to invade Ukraine. Anyways, so the point of this whole conversation, there's a lot going on. And in fact, there's a lot of stuff that people are throwing around out there on social media and in the news and stuff that I'm not really sure is even true. I don't think people truly understand what's going on. But from our perspective, from the biblical perspective, the angle I wanted to bring in was all of a sudden a lot of Christians and a lot of people that are of the religious mindset all of a sudden come out with end times. We're entering the end times. And with the advent of social media and uh, cell phones and you know, smartphones, basically, and how information travels so quickly, you know, this idea that the end times are upon us because Russia invaded the Ukraine and we're on the verge of World War III. We have inflation going on. We have high gas prices. We've got a lot of things that are really problematic in this world. Um, and so I thought that maybe could be the angle that we could take to start the conversation is that how do we address, you know, people that, first of all, are sitting there and kind of spreading this end times propaganda that, you know, it could be the end times or it is the end times, how it reflects with Revelation, what does Revelation actually say possibly about the end times, and what we should do to be ready, um, and the real response for a Christian, a Bible-believing, a Bible-following Christian. I know it's a lot to to swallow to start the show, but um, that's where I thought we could uh, begin the, the conversation at least. Yeah, sure, sure, Son. Um, I, I think right away of Matthew 24 and Jesus making uh, making a point of some of the things that were going to be happening um, in the end times. And he, uh, he said uh, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Um, he pointed to famines and earthquakes. I mean, things, Son, that have been going on, you know, ever since Christ was on earth here 2,000 years ago. You know, for me, when I read about the end times in Scripture and like those passages in Matthew 24, um, I, I think that we, we have to be reminded that Jesus also said no one knows uh, the hour, you know, when, when um, the Son of Man is going to return, um, not, even the, not even the Son, not even Jesus, but only the Father. Um, and, and so there's a real mystery uh, when it comes to trying to pinpoint um, when Jesus might be coming back. We know he's coming back, but the question is, is when? And, and there are some people who will take a war such as this, Russia invading Ukraine, and they think that they will find something, for example, in Ezekiel. Um, there are some folks who believe that 
this war was prophesied, you know, way, way back in the Old Testament. Um, personally, I don't um, buy that particular interpretation. You know, there are many Christians who don't look at it that way. Now, you know, I don't know how many do actually believe that um, the specific war here of Russia invading Ukraine uh, was actually referred to in the Bible. But I, I don't believe that that this specific war is, is being referred to. But, you know, even if you do believe that. Um, you know, it still boils down to a person's belief in Christ as Savior, um, believing in the, uh, you know, the fundamental doctrines of, of, of our faith, uh, you know, certainly believing that Jesus is without sin, that he was born of a virgin, that we're, that we're saved by grace through faith, that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins because it's the only way we could be forgiven. Um, and then beyond that, um, being ready, uh, you know, living as though Jesus could come back uh, today or tomorrow, um, you know, living with that sense of urgency and expectancy as we go about our life, trying to, to reach everyone we can with the gospel uh, before the Lord comes back. But uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, signs of the end times, I, I think it's probably pretty healthy for Christians of any age, again, for the last 2000 years, including now our own, uh, our own generation. Um, it's pretty healthy for Christians to be living with that sense that we're living in the end times. Um, there are famines and earthquakes, there are wars and rumors of wars. Um, but beyond that, trying to, you know, pinpoint it to a, a particular decade or a particular year, um, I think we have to be careful there. Uh, and I think you're going to end up with a whole range of interpretations among Christians uh, if, if you get people starting to... Uh, you know, to, to say, and some have tried that, of course, you know, over the centuries. And uh, um, I, I think our, our main focus just needs to be on doing God's will while he gives us a breath to do it until he brings us home to heaven. And if the Lord comes back, you know, while, while we're still here, you know, great. If if uh, he takes us home to heaven first and, and comes back at a later point, then, uh, you know, um, we just need to keep our eyes on on Christ and doing his will. And, and realizing that all of these indicators are, are the signs that Jesus said, you're going you're gonna to see these signs. And, and if you think about it, Son, in terms of eternity, you know, um, eternity has um, no end. And, and, and so we are definitely in the end times. We're getting very close, uh, whether that be 10 years, whether that be 100 years, um, whatever that might be, whether it be 10 months. I mean, we are very close in the light of eternity. We, we are in the end times. And when this time dimension is no more and all you have are heaven and hell, and uh, to whatever degree a person's able to look back at this life, um, they're going to realize just how short it was, how brief it was. And no wonder the Bible says that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Because for the Lord, who's outside of time, as we will be one day, um, you know, it, there's a different perspective. And, and so for the Lord to say we're living in the end times, I think we have to interpret that in light of all of Scripture. And I think we have to be careful uh, about trying to read some biblical prophecy into every world event that's going on. Um, you know, I, I think that's problematic if, if we're trying to, to do that. And certainly it's a huge problem if, uh, if, if any... Christians were starting to set a date. Well, this is the date when the Lord's going to come back, you know. So 
We just need to keep our focus on on the big picture, on the gospel, and on reaching those uh, that we can reach for Christ and making disciples of those who are already saved. You know, Dan, growing up, there's been uh, many interpretations of what some of Revelation might be outside of, well, I guess when you get beyond Revelations 3, John is talking about a futuristic things that he's seeing. And as people try to interpret what he saw back then into the light of today, so for example, during the Cold War, you know, Russia was the... Uh, was going to be the entity that comes down and crushes Israel. Or then you had, you know, the idea of the million man army and that was going to be Russia. And then it changed to maybe China. And then all of a sudden it was ISIS. And every time we go through something, there's always this interpretation of what John saw and they try to feed it into modern day politics and, and, and global politics. Is that something that can be very dangerous for people to kind of get into is just try to utilize the changing, the ever-changing global dynamic to try to fit? Because it's one of these things that we talk about. You know, we talk about that people try to take the world and fit it into the Bible. And if the Bible doesn't fit the world and the world's agenda and the world's ideology, then the Bible needs to change, you know, when it comes to things like abortion and LGBTQ and things like that. But when you look at the Bible and you compare it to the world, if the world doesn't fit with the Bible, then the world needs to change. So do we get this backwards when it comes to revelations that we look too much to the world and the events that are going on and compare it to the Bible versus knowing the Bible and then reacting to the world in a biblical manner? You know, I think that can definitely happen, Son. Uh, I, I think it's um, a temptation to try to um, turn every world event into into something that we find a specific reference to that, you know, in Scripture. Now, the passage I I referenced, um, Matthew twenty four, you know, in that passage, um, Jesus prophesied uh, the destruction of the temple, which there the second temple was destroyed in seventy A.D. So that was something that the Lord uh, prophesied and that uh, occurred then. Um, like I say, in 70 AD, but, but there are so many other events in the world, um, wars and these nations that you mentioned, that um, you, you've got a whole range of opinions of, of people uh, thinking, you know, well, it means this nation or it means that nation. And, um, you know, I, I, I think about what Paul says in Romans, that, you know, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Um, you know, there seems to be a huge focus in the New Testament on spiritual Jews, um, those who were spiritually reborn. You know, in the Old Testament, the heavy focus was on on the nation of Israel. When we move into the New Testament, we see Gentiles and Jews being brought together. Um, really, Jews first, I should put it in that order, because the gospel, even in Romans 1, it, it, you know, was first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Um, you know, so so Jesus is a Jew, and and you know, the, the Jewish men that he, he called there as his first uh, disciples. I mean, you know, it, it was first for the Jewish people, but then thankfully God, you know, allowed those of us who were Gentiles to be included, to be grafted into the vine, uh, to be part of uh, his family as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, you've, you, you've got to, I think, um, keep the focus on what we read then in the New Testament I mean, Revelation is a difficult book to understand. 
Um, there are various interpretations uh, about, um, you know, what, what exactly is being said in Revelation. Now, you know, just painting in broad strokes, I mean, we know heaven is real. We know hell is real. Uh, we know both of those places will have people in them and, and located in those places throughout eternity. Um, when you go much beyond that, you've got various interpretations of how it's going to go down uh, in the end. Um, you have various interpretations of, um, you know, you know, you, you, you've got you've got Christians who believe that um, when Jesus returns, you know, he's going to set up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years and have a millennial reign, a thousand year reign. Um, uh and still have sin, you know, on the earth, even after Jesus comes back. And then you have many other Christians, historically, you know, who have not held to that, um, to that uh, premillennial uh, view, who, who have more of an amillennial view, and, and, and who believe that when, when Christ comes back, um, that, that's going to be the end. And, and uh, the, the believers will rise up, the believers who are alive will rise up in the, in the air to meet the Lord and and uh, and then at the end of time, the dead in Christ will rise first, uh, you know, and and will be given our our resurrection bodies at that point. But but you've got you've got various opinions on on the end times and how it's going to play out, and uh, and, and the Book of Revelation. And and I do think, Son, that um, people need to be gracious on that issue. And and what I'll compare it to is this. I've known a few people over the years who have been very hardcore. Actually, not many people, but just about a few. A few people have been very hardcore on on their understanding of the age of the earth. And I think when you start to look at the broader Christian community, you see that um, some believers believe that the age of the earth is young. Others believe it's old. Um, personally, I don't believe the Bible tells us the age of the earth. The Bible doesn't tell us when day one began. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and But we're, we're not told when that began. You know, like in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, does that mean that John 1, 1 is saying that, um, that, that in the beginning uh, is referring to the same um, meaning as Genesis 1? Well, I, I would say yes, it's referring to the same thing. Um, but, but no, it, it's not just referring to something that happened 6,000 years ago. Um, I'm talking now specifically about John 1, 1. When it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, I think that goes back way before um, 6,000 years ago. Now, why do I say 6,000 years ago? Because if you follow, if, if you follow the timeline, and, and, and we're told, uh, you know, how old, uh, you know, from Adam and, uh, and Abraham and, and uh, you know, the, the people there in the line uh, of Christ. I mean, we're told how old they were in the Old Testament. Um, we, we know, you know, how many years there were between um, Adam and Abraham and then Abraham and Christ. So we know that 6,000 years ago, according to the Bible, uh, 6,000 years ago, God created Adam and Eve. 
But the Bible doesn't tell us when God created the earth any more than the Bible tells us when God created the angels. And, and, and so um, we have to be careful that we're not dogmatic on the age of the earth because the, the Bible doesn't specifically say. Um, you know, it, it, it's like the, the famous senator from Nebraska said years ago, when he was arguing in the Scopes monkey trial uh, against evolution. And, and he said, it, it, it's better to trust in the rock of ages than the age of rocks. So he was arguing against evolution being taught in the schools because he knew that that, that would turn many hearts away from, from the Bible and from Christ. But he was also making the point that we don't know the age of the earth. And historically, that has been the way the church has um, addressed the age of the earth. Now, you've got some people today who become very dogmatic. And, and even some people say, well, unless you believe the earth is young, um, you're going to just toss out all the Bible. Well, that simply isn't the case. There are plenty of um, Bible-believing um, Christians who believe in all the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, who don't happen to believe that the earth is young, um, they, they tend to, to, to view the earth as being old, maybe even millions of years old. Now, um, can I explain that? No. Uh, but here, here's what I would say. Um, I, I think once we get back before the time of Adam and Eve, okay, I don't even think that we can talk about years, okay? Uh, now we're in we're in eternity past, um, which is when God created the angels. You know how old are the angels? Well, we don't know. They were just they were created before um, God laid the foundations uh, for the earth. That's what we're we're told in Scripture. So they were already there. When did God create the angels? You know, somebody might say, well, millions of years ago, or they might say the earth is millions of years old. I, I would prefer to say based on Scripture. We don't know the age of the earth, but the Bible does not give us a framework by which to talk about millions of years or thousands of years. I mean, prior to Adam, the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But it doesn't tell us, well, you know, there were five million years between the time God created the earth and the time God created Adam and Eve. So the reason I go into all of that, Son, and I, I've written about that in my, in my ebook called open-ended creationism, if anybody wanted to, to look into that, open-ended creationism, where on the front end uh, there of God's creation, it's open-ended. We're not told um, a beginning point there before, you know, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. And on day seven, we're not given a conclusion to day seven. Uh, when God rested, we're still in the seventh day. So, so it's open-ended. Um, and open-ended creationism, the reason I wrote that, is so that people could see that you can have different views on the age of the earth and it need not divide Christians. It need not become uh, a point of orthodoxy. And there have been many who, who've written about this. You know, a Norman Geisler, a famous, uh, well-known Christian apologist. I mean, he, he says the same thing. John Lennox, an amazing apologist. Um, uh, over in the UK, uh, John Lennox uh, has written brilliantly on this. 
so, um, you know, I think, I think what's happened here in America is, is some people have kind of been worked into a lather to think that, well, unless you believe in a young earth, you're compromising scripture. The problem with that son is the same thing that happens with the end times. People get their one particular view of the end times. It's like, if you don't believe this, if you don't believe there's going to be the thousand year reign of Christ, or if you don't believe in amillennialism, if you, you know, then, then you're not really believing the Bible. And what they're doing is they're turning a secondary doctrine that's not essential for salvation. They're turning that into a linchpin, into a foundational teaching, and they're trying to make everybody have to accept that um, in, in order to really be able to say they're believing the Bible. Well, that just simply doesn't fly because there are way too many Christians who do believe in Christ, obviously. That's, you know, that's why they're Christian. Uh, that's what makes you a Christian, trusting Christ as Savior. And, and, they, and they have no doubt about the inerrancy of Scripture. But this same group of people do not agree with one another on the age of the earth, nor do they agree on the end times, the way it's going to play out. So we have to allow for a variety of biblical views. And when I say biblical views, you know, somebody might argue, well, there's only one biblical view. Okay. Uh, but there are different interpretations on this secondary issue among Bible-believing Christians. So for somebody to come out and, and say, well, no, only my view is, is the only correct view, well, there's a reason, Son, why, for example, let's say in the Apostles' Creed, you know, this statement of, of the early church on, on just essential doctrines of the Christian faith. You know, there, there's no reference to the age of the earth or there's no reference to, you know, some of the, uh, some of the particular uh, definitions for um, eschatology, the end times, the, you know, the return of Christ. I mean, that, that just has not ever been historically a point of orthodoxy in the Christian church. And, and I think when people, um, they start to push their, their interpretation on that, on one of those secondary issues as the only interpretation, it would be no different than if somebody came along and said, because you've had Christians throughout history, for example, who have um, dedicated their children and other Christians who baptized their, their babies. I mean, like Martin Luther, for example, look at the way God used him. Now, he was baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church, but he didn't become a Christian until he trusted Christ as Savior decades later, you know, 20 to 30 years later. Um, but that doesn't mean that Luther all of a sudden started preaching against infant baptism. He still believed that that, that was something that can honor God. Uh, likewise, there are many believers uh, today and, and throughout history who believe, no, I mean, we, we believe we honor God by dedicating uh, our, our child or dedicating our baby. We don't believe in baptism until they get older. And I'll tell you what, sign anybody who attempts to say that, that the other side or the other, not side, but the other view, because we're talking about Christians now, who, who we're talking about born again people, born again parents, okay? Um, uh, and obviously not that everybody who baptizes their child is born again, but let's just assume we're talking about a born again individual. Um, you know, what, what are you going to say? No, you're sinning if you dedicate your baby, but don't baptize your baby, or you're sinning if you baptize your baby, but you don't, um, you know, dedicate. So that's another area, communion, the Lord's Supper. That's a whole other issue. I mean, some churches celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. 
Um, it would be wrong for them to say, well, this church is sinning because they're not following the practice of the New, of the New Testament. They're only celebrating the Lord's Supper twice a month or four times a quarter or whatever it might be. That would be wrong to put your own conviction on that issue onto somebody else as some legalistic requirement for Christian discipleship. You know, the Bible says each man should be convinced, fully convinced in his own mind on, on these secondary issues. So there are many that we could talk about. Um, and, and then, of course, there are those legalistic issues that are just flat out. Um, you know, I mean, you know, in recent decades or, you know, even maybe 50 years ago, more so, but there've been churches that, well, you can't dance and be a Christian. Okay. Um, you can't have a glass of wine and be a Christian. Um, if you smoke, you're not a Christian. Now, an argument could be made against all of those things and, and the dangers of those in, in a certain context. Okay. But the minute you start to lay that on someone as though you're not a Christian, if you go to a movie, okay, used to be, I suppose you're not a Christian if you play cards. Well. You know what? Um, a lot of that has loosened up because people realize, wait a minute, uh, there are Christians who have different hobbies. I mean, maybe one person's hobby is gardening. Somebody else's is playing a card game. You know, somebody else is, is, is watching, you know, um, watching some movies. So we just have to be careful that we don't go into extremism, fanaticism. There needs to be balance in, in, our, in our teaching. And where scripture is silent, what I mean by that is where, where, where scripture allows um, for a variety of views. And I'm not talking about clear things in scripture. You know, the Bible says everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Okay, yeah, that's true in every case. But, but if somebody starts to say, well, it's wicked for you to dedicate your baby and not baptize, or baptize and not dedicate, or it's wicked for you to uh to play cards or it used to be you know women couldn't wear makeup you know uh, i mean there's all sorts of crazy things that you know people would say you can't do this or some have even said son um you can't do anything on a sunday if you're doing if you do anything on on the sabbath now now you're breaking god's commandment you can't you can't do any type of work you can't make a meal you can't uh, and, and and oh heaven forbid that your job require you to come in on a sunday you can't do that if you're a christian so there's all sorts of legalistic things they can also then get thrown into the mix. And, um, you know, the last thing the Bible promotes is, is loose living or um, compromising scripture. But likewise, the Bible does not promote legalism. Um, and it does not promote someone who's weak in faith. And by that, I mean, oh, they, they, they think it can only be done a certain way. You know, in Romans, it was like, you know, you could only eat certain types of food. You could only worship on a certain day. I mean, there's been a whole denomination that's arisen out of that. You know, Seventh-day Adventists. I mean, it, it's like they, they made such a huge deal out of the day you worship, and you're missing the boat on that issue when, when you make that such a, a focus when, when every day is to be a Sabbath under the Lord. And, and I, I'm just saying, son, legalism and going off on doctrinal tangents and, and making your own conviction um, trying to force that on others is a very dangerous thing that we all are prone to doing. But, but that's, I don't believe that's the way that the Holy Spirit wants us to, uh, to, to make disciples of, of those who know Christ. You know, Dan, there have been conversations that even like Greg Laurie has mentioned in the past, not sure if he's changed um, his, his thinking on it. Not that it's good or bad, but just want to put that out there, that if you've heard something more recent from him, um, then, you know, maybe he's changed. But 
it goes like this. Basically, there has to be a world order that is so like the upheaval of the world has to be out there so that the Antichrist can rise up and be like the peacemaker, so to speak. You know, everyone looks to this one person to solve the problem. And for a long time, uh, America has been, you know, the strongest country, the superpower that's kind of kept the balance in the world. A lot of people think that end times theology in Revelation does not include the United States. So somehow the United States has to move into some sort of irrelevancy, whether it be just kind of the demise of the country, kind of like what we're seeing now. Uh, Greg Laurie has even suggested possibly something greater, like a nuclear attack or something. Um, So there's been all kinds of things out there that people have suggested because obviously there's a lot of people out there that want to know about end times theology. And there's some people that are, uh, you know, more talkative about it than others. But when it comes to this thing about, you know, where America fits in it, where where the U.S. fits in it, for example, again, you know, when you talk about the Jews and the Gentiles, at one point that must have meant something. But now we're talking about, you know, political regions. I mean, are we looking at something where we have to keep an eye on Israel? Because I know what you just mentioned, you know, we have to be, basically comes down to, we just have to be ready because no man knows the time or day when Jesus is going to come again. It could be at any time. And so um, are we looking to, you know, where we got to kind of take our eyes off of this, you know, and, and this is where I, where I let me make my statement, then I'll, I'll say what I mean. So we got to take our eyes off of America and American politics. That's why what I say when we have to take the Bible and have the Bible scripture as the foundation and then look to the world or look to America or look to our politics versus taking our politics and looking to the Bible and changing the Bible. Because if we did that, we would be going crazy every news cycle with something going on. Because if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of things in the in the Bible that do talk about end times. You know, you talk about uh, disputes among nations. You know, I think that's in Matthew 24, wars and rumors of wars. And, of course, that's been going on for a long time. And then you've got, you know, signs of deception, you know, that was uh, Jesus was talking about to his disciples. And, of course, there's deception, you know, obviously in politics and in the world, but there's a lot of deception going on in the church as well. I mean, there's pastors preaching non-biblical, non-scriptural things that people are buying into and all these other religious type things in the name of so-called God that, you know, people are, are believing so much so that, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me is no longer the absolute. People think there's many other things. Um, you know, it also talked about, I think there in Matthew 24 about, you know, signs of devastation. I mean, this, this time that we're going through, we've just had the pandemic, uh, supposedly two years of a, of a virus shutting things down. We've got economic turmoil uh, with inflation, supply chain, gas prices, etc. So you can kind of see when you take a look at scripture and then you take a look at the world and you try to look at the the world through a worldly perspective using the Bible, you can see where people are going to tend to get a little hyped up and excited and animated that, wow, this must be truly it because look at all these pieces that fit in to what the Bible has to say. And so therefore it must be the end times because U.S. is becoming irrelevant in the world. You know, Saudi Arabia is looking to change the dollar out for the yawn. Uh, for their, you know, money. And so there's all these indicators and people are, are getting there a little more, more frantic, but that's what I think happens when you're a worldview Christian, so to speak, as opposed to a biblical scriptural Christian. Yeah. You know, son, I, I think what you're describing, and I agree with everything you said, I think what you're describing is, is kind of related to one of the points I made a couple minutes ago 
about the different views that you have among Christians, because I agree with you. There are Christians who seem to be highly motivated by reading the newspaper right alongside the Bible and say, well, look, this lined up right here. And look, this event's going on here. Um, and then there are other Christians who say, you know what? Um, I- I'm not sure how, how, if at all, that ties in exactly to this biblical prophecy. But, but, but this set of Christians will say, but I'll tell you what, um, I've got my hands full with, let's say, for example, the New Testament epistles. I've got my hands full in my own life, or let's say in the life of my family, or if you're a pastor in the life of the congregation, you know, I've got my hands full um, just simply feeding and teaching God's people the word of God as, as Paul did, for example, um, you know, the greatest apostle. Um, I mean, you know, read Romans, read Galatians, read Ephesians, you know, Read Philippians, read Colossians. Um, you know, you know what they address in, in their song? They address the great biblical themes and doctrines, the nature of God, what he has done for our salvation, how the Holy Spirit has worked to make us children of God, um, what it means that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Of course, that's from the Gospel of John. But but Paul um addresses that, that, that point in, in, in a variety of ways. Um, and, and then, once in the early chapters of the epistles, the gospel is, is laid out, and people, Christians are reminded that, that um, they've been made alive with Christ. And then, uh, Paul goes into rules for holy living. And my goodness, son, I mean, if somebody has mastered all those, I say that tongue-in-cheek because we never do, um, and if they have time, to be trying to figure out, well, how does this article in the newspaper, this war right now with Syria, how, where's the Bible verse for that? Um, and, and I think the current one, um, you know, where, where do we find the Bible verse? Uh, some will say, well, look here at Ezekiel. It prophesied that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. Here's what I will say on that song. I don't know that it says that. I'm not inclined to accept that interpretation based on, um, you know, on, on the study I've got. In fact, uh, Hank Hanegraaff had an interesting article in the Christian Post in the last week just basically stating why looking to Ezekiel and the particular passages that are used to say, well, look, that's pointing to Russia invading Ukraine. He makes a, a, a strong biblical case why he doesn't believe that's referring to that at all. But be that as it may, okay, so you've got some people who, who might say, some believers who might say, well, I do believe it is. Well, I'm not going to try and talk them out of that. Uh, my, my, my plate's full just trying to um, stick to what, what Paul addressed, the greatest apostle in the gospel and then the rules for holy living, um, you know, focusing on that um, for my life, my family, the church that I'm privileged to serve. Um, and, and if somebody wants to choose to, to spend their time um, trying to interpret all of these things, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. Well, that's you know that God's not leading them, or they're wrong on that. Um, but I'm just simply gonna say I would rather stick with the Bible. And I know you know the, the the other argument would be well, but we're using the Bible. Well, yes, but you're 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 going to these prophecies that not all Christians are, are you know seeing that the same way, and um, there can be a case made for a different interpretation than what you're doing. But be that as it may, 
I, I, I think, Fon, just like what I was saying, though, with the age of the earth, I think we need to leave room for Christians to follow the lead of the Spirit as they believe God is leading them in the Word. And all I know, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't speak for another Christian on how they're feeling like. But I know in my, you know, almost 32 years as a pastor, um, I've barely begun to, you know, just discover, you know, the nuggets of truth in, let's say, the, the, the Gospels and the Epistles and in reaching the lost and discipling the saved. And, and, and I think there are some people, saw they, they, and, and, it, and it can become a whole cottage industry with all sorts of book sales and, and lots of money. You know, then, the, the, you know, there are people whose whole ministry is about promoting, it, it seems, the age of the earth. And it's our, our understanding of the age of the earth. Or our ministry is this view of the end times. Um, it, it, it's this one view. And, 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 and then people get all revved up. And, and I would almost equate it to this, Son. I was thinking about, about this recently. Um, I think what you find, and you mentioned politics earlier, but I think it has a real interesting connection. What you find in the world is that you have some very skilled people on both the left and the right who know how to get their base excited about a particular issue, whether that issue is abortion, um, gun ownership, uh, whether it's immigration, um, whether you go right on down the line, okay, um, whether it's, um, you know, a certain type of financial policy, whether it's um, mi mi military uh, expenditures. But where I'm going is this. You've got people on the left like the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC. They know exactly what buttons to push to generate the greatest response from people who are of a certain mindset politically. And they know what buttons to push to energize them and to keep getting them to come back. And, and, and likewise, on the right, you, 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 you've got, you know, uh, Fox News. Um, and I'm certainly thankful for, for so much of, of what they do. But you've got, you've got Fox News and, and, and you've got other people uh, on the right who are constantly, um, you know, approaching a, a political issue from a view where, where they know how to energize their base on that. And, 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 and while I find that so many of the issues that are being addressed on the right need to be addressed and very directly and very clearly and, and are often done in a good way, I also find that on both the right and the left, you end up getting people so charged up over individual issues to the point where now in their minds, um, the folks with the other view have now become such a big enemy in their mind. And this one issue now has become so huge because it's been talked about hour after hour on the airwaves. And it's kind of like people who just sit around and they just, they just read the, the, the one political approach or the other. Rather than spending that time in the Bible, Rather than spending that time, you know, witnessing and praying, um, you can get so charged up politically on either the right or the left 
that that now you're it's just like the person who's making the end times or the age of the earth. It, it's like they will die on that hill. They will fall on that sword. They will go so far as to say, you're not even a Christian if you don't hold my view on this. But we see the same thing happening, son, in the political realm, on both the right and the left. And, and then what we lose is we lose that, that biblical emphasis on the gospel, which, I mean, hey, I think any time a person can speak up for, let's say, the unborn, and I mean, the horror of abortion, okay, um, the horror of uh, puberty blockers for for children and radical surgery for confused children. I, I mean, to me, these are not political issues. These are moral issues that that are way above politics. And it's just evil to promote abortion. It's evil to confuse children on their gender. So, so um, I, I'm not suggesting that there aren't issues, for example, that are being addressed on the right. And they need. They certainly need to be addressed. Okay, but but I'm saying. Those are those are some some big ticket items. Obviously, the sanctity of of of, uh, of life, but also the sanctity of marriage. Um, you know that that is that is not a minor issue. Um, you know God, that God made marriage for a man and a woman. But but I'm talking about other issues beyond these huge moral issues that that they can become so politicized and. Um, people can get so worked up into a lather that they lose their peace. Okay. So like last night before uh, Tammy and I went to sleep, um, we were listening to a message by Ben Hayden, H-A-D-E-N. He was a Presbyterian minister. He had a background in the CIA. He had been the CEO of a newspaper for a number of years. He had been an atheist and he was like 29, a very interesting background, Uh, third generation attorney. Um, in his family, but Ben Hayden, he has the most calming voice, the most interesting messages, changed lives is the name of his program. And they, they have his, his messages still uh, on the radio, thankfully, or on the internet, you know, we were, we pulled it out. But, but the reason I point to that is we need to be listening to spiritual sermons like this. We need to be filling our minds with scripture. Um, we live in the, the the twenty four new twenty four hour news cycle, and if we're not careful, Saad, Christians will sit in front of their favorite political speakers, and that will become almost like the religion. Because I know that there are people on the left who, and I know personally some people in that category, where you know, like the New York Times and leftist ideology, you would swear it was their religion. Um, but but I think people on the right have to be careful that we don't so immerse ourselves, and I'm putting myself obviously in that category as a conservative Bible-believing Christian, um, we have to be careful that we don't so immerse ourselves in just, you know, what the pundits are saying, because they're not preaching the Bible. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying some of them aren't Christian, but, but they, you know, their company wants to make money off of you listening or watching what they're doing and spending your time dialed into that. And with is as contentious as like elections and politics have become in America, I think we have to guard our hearts. And, and I would just say, son, 
for every one hour that a person's going to listen to CNN on the left or Fox on the right, I would say, well, what about spending two hours or three hours for that one hour in the Bible, listening to sermons that don't get into these political issues? Now, now, if they address abortion or transgenderism or same-sex marriage, I would say that that's not a political issue. That's not to me anyway. I see that as a moral issue. Um, so I'm not talking about those issues, those very clear you know, um, issues. You know, um, God designed sex for marriage between a man and a woman. That's a moral issue. Society wants to say it's a political issue. It's not. It's a moral issue. But, but I think we just have to be careful what we feed our minds. And I would invite anybody listening, check out Ben Hayden. You know, Google Ben Hayden, H-A-D-E-N, Change Live. And I challenge you to listen to one of his sermons, two of his sermons. You're going to probably want to go back for more because it's very, it brings comfort. It brings peace. He's got interesting stories um, that he tells. He was, like I say, a Presbyterian minister. But it's a very different tone, son, than what you hit if you turn on CNN or Fox. Because they're, they're, they're needing to get people all worked up into a ladder, all emotionally charged, ready to go out and take the hill, you know, against their fellow Americans. When meanwhile, Satan has got so many people in his clutches as unbelievers. And, and if we're not careful, um, we'll make the politics of the world more of an emphasis in our in our thinking than than the gospel of Jesus. And I mean, you know, Sai, for my whole life, I've been conservative biblically. Uh, I'm also, you know, conservative, um, certainly, obviously, on social issues. How can you not be <laughs> with what the Bible says? How can you be anything but conservative on social issues? But I would also say, though, Sai, that that's not to say that there aren't people on the left who, who, who don't have, let's say, lots of compassion for, um, for immigrants. Could there be more compassion on the right for that? Now, there's a lot of compassion on the right, a lot of giving on the right. But, but I think if, if people on the right, people on the left were to talk about just like, for example, the needs of the people in Ukraine, could there not be a meeting of the minds and say, hey, we can agree that we want to help these people. And whether it be through the Red Cross or Franklin Graham Samaritan's Purse or whatever it might be, um, but Satan has done a great job at dividing Americans over politics. And I know there are some very fundamental differences in beliefs, but he's done a, he's done a fantastic job, I would say, of dividing Americans. And he works very hard to divide Christians. So another person I would encourage people to listen to is George Berger, V-E-R-W-E-R, um, Revolution of Love and Balance. George is 82. He still has a, a blog, a, a video blog. Listen, boy, he, he, he's good on the need for Christians to have balance. Look up George Verver, W-E-V or V-E-W-Y-E-R. Am I saying that? Verver. So anyway, Son, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on this long on this point, but I think these are some important issues for our day. And I do think they're very much related when we, you know, I know we started with, you know, what about the end times? Well, I think it leads us into a whole range of, of other thoughts uh, related to what, what Christians are experiencing today. Well, I think it also you have to be careful because the business of church can put things out there that aren't even necessarily true. It's just to sell their product to make money, sell their message to make money. You know, you've got to put out books, you've got to put out Bible studies, you know, CDs, if those are still around, downloads online. 
you know, and so a lot of people will start to get into the business of church rather than the business of studying the scripture and sharing that message. Um, and I think that's one of the hazards that we have, especially when it comes to, to end times. You know, like you said, there's a lot of doom and gloom, you know, fire and brimstone people out there that make a lot of money off of that. And so we have to be careful. And so when something like the events of today or the events of the last couple of years, which really kind of mold into a lot of things as what the Bible talks about, um, and you can pick and choose. You, know, you can pick and choose any verse to fit anything if you really wanted to. I think the Bible is kind of like statistics. You can make statistics fit anything you want. And I think that if you're not careful, you can take the Bible out of context and make it fit anything you want. And we as Christians, we as believers, have to have some discernment and have to have some you know, kind of common sense, biblical common sense, and, and make sure that one or toes to identify those things that are you know, correct and proper and line up with biblical passages and biblical teachings and those that are being taken, you know, for out of context for something else that is for another purpose, such as maybe, you know, pushing a product to make some money or to get people to donate to a ministry or something like that. So I think that's the other thing we run into, especially with things like end times, because there is no real concrete, like you've described, you know, throughout this podcast episode, there is no one concrete thing. Like you can't, you can't go to a John 14, six of end times where it says, you know, John 14, six, how do you get to heaven? I am the way, the truth and life. No man comes to the father, but by me, there's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus. If anybody else preaches anything else, you're wrong. You're not biblical. You're not scriptural. You know, you're starting to be her- uh, starting to become into the the world of heresy. So you have a checks and balance to things like that. But when it comes to end times, yeah. there really isn't that one thing you can go to. So a lot of people can take it and expand on it and kind of spin it how they want to. And I think that we really need to be careful. Yeah. But I think it comes down to this. If, if I was to wrap it up and people say, you know, end times this, end times that, this is what's happening, going on. It would be like, well, it comes down to this. If Jesus was going to come back right now, are you ready? And if you're not ready, you should get ready because that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't, what, doesn't matter what happens or when it happens because if we're not ready for that second coming, it's too late and it's going to be way worse than what we're enduring right now. And so we have to. We have to get ready and make sure that our lives are right, make sure that you know we know that we're believing what the Bible has to say. We know that we believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again for our sins, and that, like John fourteen six said, through Jesus, I can know the Father, and I can have assurance of salvation for all eternity. And without that, this whole conversation about end times is really mute, because when the end times arrives and you're not ready, it's going to be a right. whole lot worse than what we're enduring now. Well, that, that's exactly right, Son. And, you know, I, I think also in this context that when we're talking about doctrines where people have, Christians have different views, um, it, it's almost like what Susanna Wesley, John and Charles Wesley's mother, what she said about, you know, anything she would be engaged in in her life. You know, sometimes people wonder, well, would it be a sin for me to do this? Would it be a sin for me to do that? Because um, I'm not really sure if the Bible addresses it or not. I'm not sure if I should do it. Well, Susanna Wesley had such a beautiful insight on this. She said, you know, anything that takes away like my my savor for the word of God, my desire for prayer, my hunger for just holy things. She said, anything that does that in my life, that is sin to me. And that is such a good insight because I would say the same thing applies, Son, when a person is starting to, you know, really become strong with their interpretation on a secondary doctrine. I would say anything that you're doing 
that is starting to make you really kind of have some hard feelings toward your fellow believers or hard feelings toward unbelievers, hard feelings for people who won't see it your way or don't see it your way. I think that should be a red flag that goes up. And, and, and we as Christians should say, wait a minute, you know, um, maybe I'm, I'm making a bigger deal out of this. I mean, it's fine. You know, this is why this is, you know, read Romans 14, where Paul addresses uh, the differing views that Christians had on some of these secondary issues. And, and Paul writes, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay. And, and, but, but you know what was interesting in that chapter? The weak brother is described as the one, for example, who would eat only vegetables, you know, let's say, and not, and not the meat that had been, um, let's say, sacrificed, uh, you know, before it was sold in the marketplace, okay? So, so the, weak, the weak person was like the narrow-minded one. Now, Paul said, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. In, in other words, if that person's weak in faith, um, you know, accept their weakness, that they're very narrow on that, but, but don't judge them just as you would hope they won't. Uh, judge you, but we need to be broad-minded enough um, to accept one another. And I would say, Son, that this can also apply in the in the realm outside of just strictly um, Christian to Christian, but like Christians to unbelievers here in America or people in two different sides of the political aisle, um, accept one another then as fellow Americans. Um, and, and talk with one another as much as possible, and, and, it, and may, maybe not about politics, probably, but, but accept one another as fellow Americans. Well, that's on a different level. Um, but, but I think we need to dial down, ratchet down. There's way too much hostility. But, but again, I would say, Son, um, CNN and Fox, they're being paid millions of dollars to ratchet that up. They're being paid millions of dollars to get people all stirred up. And, and, and I'm not saying we don't need those forums, or we don't need the news, or we don't need, we need to be informed. But I'm just saying, you watch them; they play to their base, and they get people fired up. But but you know what, son? I'm thinking every Christian was more fired up over the Bible. You know, the Bible says, "Do not put out the Spirit's fire." More fired up about reaching the lost. More fired up about foreign missions. More fired up about prayer. Okay, so listen to a George Verver who um, is the founder of Operation Mobilization. And, and uh, I think today they've got something like 5,000 workers. Uh, you know, they, 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 you know they, they, they've done mission work in 100 different nations. Um, but anyway, I won't go into all that. I'm just saying, listen to Ben Hayden. I, I got to tell you this very short thing. that In one of his messages last night, and I won't say it nearly as good as he did, son, but he has so many incredible stories. Well, he told this one story in, in, in the way that only Ben Hayden can and just the empathy in his voice as he says it. So I'm just going to try and give a real Reader's Digest version of it. But he was talking about this, I think it was an 82-year-old, either retired pastor, retired professor. And he was going to leave chapel this day at the seminary for all these, all these guys who were there to study to become minister. And this retired seasoned pastor or missionary or professor, I forget which, he got up there into the pulpit. And he, uh, he took off his glasses and just kind of laid them there on his Bible. He didn't say anything for a moment or two. And then he just very slowly, he just said to the men, he said, Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. 
And if you heard Ben Hayden say that, I mean, his voice is just amazing, the, the gift God gave him, but, but way more than the voice, the empathy behind it. So the minister says this. And at first, you know, the uh, seminary students, they, they were kind of, they kind of, some of them giggled nervously, not knowing what to say with this very simplistic message from this, this missionary. Um, but then they thought about it. And there's just, there was kind of like this quiet hush that kind of came over the, the sanctuary there where they were having the chapel service. And um, I believe as he told the story, one of the young men got down on his knees. And just, he was just moved by that message because he was just contemplating it for himself. And then, sure enough, all the men ended up getting down on their knees. And, and the Spirit of God was moving in their midst through that simple message. Now, I'll tell you, Sai, um, that missionary pastor, professor, that Christian, that seasoned Christian, um, he did not try to play with their emotions the way that CNN and Fox will do that. Um, he did not try to stir up their emotions over a political issue. Instead, he relied upon the gospel and the Holy Spirit to stir within man an appreciation, a love, um, just a, a focus on the gospel. And, and, and if that doesn't illustrate, you know, I mean, you know, many people are saying, well, I mean, you, you, you have seminary professors and seminaries all across the country who would say, well, that's, that's like the worst sermon ever given. Because in their minds, sermon technique is more important than, than the message itself, the simple message and the outcome. I mean, you'd have seminary professors who would be critical of, let's say, Billy Graham's sermon. Well, but if the Spirit's moving, if the Spirit is moving, who are you to be critical of what God is doing? So, so my simple point there with that song is that um, you know, the Lord wants to get our hearts inflamed for Christ, his love for us, his love for the world. And I don't see how somebody going off on a tangent saying, well, if you don't have my view on the end times or my view on the age of the earth, or if you don't hold my political view, or if you don't belong to my political party, you know, um, it's like those things are secondary. And if they're driving a person, if they're making that person so legalistic, like you got to do it this way, or I'm against you. I would say in the Christian church, you're making a huge mistake because you're distancing yourself from your fellow Christians. And then on just the, the, uh, the natural realm here in this world, if you're doing that to your fellow Americans, be careful. Be, be, because the enemy, whoever that enemy may be in the natural realm, they want to divide. They want to divide and conquer. That's what Satan tries to do with marriages. That's what he tries to do with families. That's what he tries to do with churches. That's what he tries to do with nations. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And, and, and so we, we've got to get back to the basic message that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And if we're consumed with that son, these other things are going to be less important. Not to say they're not going to be important. But, but, but that preacher who's out there harping on just one view, he's not much different than the CNN or Fox commentator who's trying to get you all worked up so you'll stick around through the commercials and their company can be paid, okay? He's not much different than that, play, or, or, or the prosperity preacher, you know, preying on the emotions of people to get them to give money to him. It's all greed-motivated. 
Okay. That pastor, that missionary in the pulpit, the seminary, you know what his motive was? Lift up Christ, help to gently lead these men into God's presence. And the Lord did that through the, the most simple sermon you could ever preach. So that is a message to today's Christian son in America. Um, let's be very careful what we feed our mind every day. And if you find yourself starting to get really emotional about a topic, be careful. Make sure it's something that the Lord wants you emotional about. And, and then stay grounded to the message. Stay grounded to Scripture. But if you find yourself starting to become hard in your attitude toward others, either within the church or outside of the church, that should be a red flag to you. You're, you're getting off track. Satan's going to, you know, you, you may start out with a holy zeal for an issue. But if you're not careful, you'll verge over into fanaticism. And that happens all the time. Look at the history of revivals in, 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 the, in the America, for example. When the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully, um, Satan is just watching for opportunities to lead people into fanaticism um, in, in order to um, give a bad reputation to that revival. So no wonder uh, the Bible says be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I think that gives us, you know, a lot to think about today, Son. It's like I read somewhere, if you're looking for truth from the news media, that's like looking for love from a prostitute. Not going to happen. Oh, boy, yes, yes. Well, Dan, we appreciate your time so much on this issue, and I know it's uh, something that— you know, we have to be cautious as we enter into the pool of conversation regarding it, but we appreciate your thoughts and sharing what you have on your heart and your mind about this. And uh, again, just thank you for your time. And we look forward to uh, our next conversation. Well, and I just appreciate, Son, how open you are every in every podcast to just, you know, we, we seek to let the Holy Spirit guide the discussion. And as you and I have talked, you know, uh, in our own conversations many times, it's amazing how we'll start off with one topic and then not only will we address that issue, but the Lord will lead us to talk about many other relevant issues biblically and culturally as well. So thank you just for, I just love the way that you facilitate, um, you know, the podcast, the way you lead it, um, your insights, and then being able to share with you uh, different thoughts I have. So thank you for, yeah, for that privilege and just for the way you do this. And for those of you listening, uh, thanks for listening. You can find us at uh, RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You can find episodes there, uh, past episodes as well. If there's other is- uh, issues you want to listen to and find out more about. So RadioWarp.com, just click the Sanctified Reason link, and you can find all the episodes right there. Again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend, and until next time, God bless.